Welcome to the Once Upon a Leader in Africa podcast with George Nudu. We invite you to listen to influencers and opinion shapers narrating their experiences from their leadership roles in Africa, from the world of business, community development, government, corporate, social enterprise, among others. We will glean from their good, bad and ugly side of their leadership journey and be inspired to overcome adversity, to pursue success against all odds, to be a great leader and many other lessons. Welcome to the podcast and here's George Nudu. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm well, George. Thank you so much for having me here. Ah, Karibu sana. It's great to have you here. Uh, it's been uh, quite a journey since when we talked about you coming and now you are here. So I'm, I'm happy to sit down with you and just hear your, your leadership story. So Karibu sana. Asante sana. I think it's a good start for my year. Things yes. that I'm telling my story, uh, I'll have something to build on because the story still continues. <laughs> Yes as, as, yes, as we get an opportunity to continue leading and continue doing what God allows us to do in the marketplace. Wonderful, wonderful. That's so true. So even before we begin, tell us a little bit about yourself, Kevin. I am passionate about uh, leadership development and more specifically about nurturing people that uh, I see and I feel have potential to, to do better and become best of themselves. I consider mm-hmm. myself a, a strategist, a strategic thinker, and an enterprise builder, and I love community. So everything about me really resonates and focuses on, on, on community. In terms of what I do, I mean, to drive all these passions that uh, describe who I am, uh, I'm a community development expert. I studied the uh, Bachelor's of uh, uh, Environmental Studies and Community Development. Uh, furthered my studies with the Masters of Climate Change and uh, Adaptation at the University of Nairobi. So uh, got privileged also to get trained as uh, as an enterprise SME coach, business coach by ILO. So all these skill set, of course, they they help me do uh, what I really I really love to do. In terms of uh, uh, my my family life, I am married to one wife called Faith. Uh, and uh, we are blessed with two children, a son called Zeke and a daughter called Kara. And uh, yeah, uh, at the moment, uh, I lead an organization called Africa Bioenergy Programs Limited, uh, which has been working uh, to support households, especially smallholder farmers, access clean cooking energy uh, with a technology called a biodigester. Yeah, they use locally available uh, organic waste to convert it to energy and power you know, to do many things at home. And also we help them access other uh, clean uh, energy solutions at household level. So that's that's what I do uh, for seven years, uh, you know, transforming communities through uh, interventions that enable people access clean cooking solutions uh, in Kenya. Beyond that, uh, I also serve uh, as, as, as a discipleship uh, and leadership development deacon in my church. So this is really something that I'm really excited about you know, seeing people uh, grow spiritually, you know, and get to know and build their relationship with God uh, even deeper and walk in the teachings of, 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 of the scriptures. I also uh, work with Life Ministry Kenya uh, as a, a 
the chairman of what we call the Emerging Marketplace Leaders. So I am leading a, a team or a group of young marketplace leaders who want to grow spiritually, personally, and, 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 and also uh, in their relationships you know, uh, with, uh, with other people. So with that, uh, we uh, look at uh, leaders who are not necessarily able to be evangelists or pastors, but people who want to influence you know, uh, the marketplace with godly values. And we create a movement of such leaders who uh, purpose uh, to inspire others, you know, with uh, uh, with a leadership that is devoid of corruption, devoid of you know these things that people say you must do to succeed in Kenya. You know, the cliches that in Kenya can you succeed in business if you're not you know corrupt? Can you succeed in business without shortcuts? So that's really uh, what I do. Also, besides now my age to five pm, we just work in building a value-based leaders you know, across the country. Wow, you're quite engaged in leadership, and that's that's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Where can you say you began leading? I think my leadership story begins uh, clearly in uh, in 1994. I was born in uh, in Eastlands. You know, when you're born in Eastlands, there are very many challenges that come with Eastlands. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about yeah. them. You know, in in Eastlands, you're exposed to very many things. In fact, many people who were raised up in Eastlands. Uh, uh, they say we, it's God who raises you up or you raise up yourself because parents are so much focused on you know, putting bread on the table. You know, most of parents probably are doing uh, manual jobs. You know, my father uh, worked uh, at industrial area. And of course, he had to walk from uh, uh, Jerusalem. He used to live in Jerusalem you know, mm-hmm. to industrial every day. So most often they're not exposed to the world you know, as an environment that, you know, that uh, brings you up. So in 19, uh, before 1994, I think in 1990, there was, a, there was a gentleman called Baba Ben. I remember him as Baba Ben, who used to be our neighbor. So where we used to live, most often than not, uh, your parents would not, at an early age, take you to church. I mean, you go to church where your friends are going to church. So we never used to go to church those days. But Baba Ben, because of his passion for nurturing and you know, bringing up young uh, kids within the neighborhood. He started a fellowship for kids in the neighboring school. It was called Dr. Craft. So we used to go to Dr. Craft to just get taught by Baba Ben. Remember one time, Baba Ben challenged me that uh, because Baba Ben's background was PCA church. So they had a Sunday school service. So he challenged me that uh, for the Sunday school service, you are going to be the preacher, you know, for that service. You know, so picking me out from nowhere, of course, my Eastlands English, it's really, you know, very scarce with vocabularies. But I felt for the first time that someone recognizes something about me. You know, but that did not really sink in well. But I find that as an experience in my life that pointed something about me that I didn't know, something that I could not get from my background. Because in Eastlands, I mean, Eastlands is more of sometimes very synonymous to struggle you know, slum, slum life, people who might not make it in life. But in 1994, that's when uh, I had a complete realization that there is something that I really can do. Uh, what my mom uh, came to school one morning. Uh, I was a little bit a very uh, cheeky child uh, in my early age. So he came to, she came to school to complain about me not, you know, listening to her at home, you know, being very supportive at home, very playful. So uh, my teacher then was called Mrs. Mbeshi. I remember her saying just two sentences. 
are you talking about this kiosk or another kiosk? So my mom did not know how to respond to that. Then she went on again to say that if, you, if you're talking about this kinusu, then mama, you need to go back home and learn your son better. The kinusu I know in school is different from who you're describing. And that was the end of that story. And that afternoon, Mrs. Mbeshi called me to her office and told me from today on, you're the class monitor. So I really felt, you know, these are things that you don't feel happy, you feel challenged. And I was a kid, I felt challenged, I felt touched. First of all, I felt like, I really embarrassed my mother. <laughs> Sorry for my mother. You know, but second, I, I felt like I needed to be more responsible. You know, so that changed my life. Even at home, I changed. Because for the first time, I realized that, uh, you know, you, there is someone who holds me in high regard, and I should not take that for granted. In 1996, uh, of course, I became the class monitor from class four all the way through my primary school. But in 1996, another, another event happened to me. Uh, that's when I, uh, I realized that uh, I needed to build a relationship with God. So I gave my life to, uh, to Christ in 1996 and joined church actively. I was in class six then. By the time I went to class seven, because of my commitment and devotion to service, and it was a new church plant within our estate, uh, I was appointed as the assistant Sunday school teacher. Uh, for, for, for that class. That again, really uh, made me look at myself differently, you know, not just as a, as, a, as a child. And I remember it was really hard for me because at school, my friends used to call me teacher Kevin or teacher Kimusu. So it was really a hard moment. Am I a teacher or a friend? So I, I think at that, point, at that point, I felt shy and I basically rejected the position after a year because uh, I, I, mean, I, I felt a little bit bullied in school. But those are cycles of leadership. Sometimes you get intimidated with what you can do, you know. But at that early age, that's when I realized that, uh, you know, there's leadership potential in me. People look at me as a person who can add value. And it was up to me to really live to it and invest in myself and, uh, you know, uh, put uh, the right ingredients in me to not disappoint this opportunity that God has given me and people have interested me with. The rest now is history through high school, very many leadership opportunities all the way from Form 1, uh, being made the first treasurer of the Christian Union at Form 1 when I joined Form 2. You know, uh, I was made the science club chairman all the way through to Form 4. When I go to Form 3, the school identified me as the school captain, <laughs> you know, and the science club chairman. And I chaired the union of all Christian unions within Eastlands, about 14 schools. You know, I mean, it's, it, it was really uh, more of opportunities to engage my contribution to just setting people up for uh, an adventure that leads towards certain results. And I've done that gladly. I've never felt like I don't want to take any challenge to lead. So I am not shy about it because it really fulfills me and I do it humbly, knowing that that is a gift that God has given me. And if it's not given out, then it is not uh, useful because gifts are to be given out, not to be kept. Yeah. Wow, quite a journey from, from the time you are young to now. Yeah, so the story even of the uni at, at university level is also very, very, very interesting because uh, uh, and the university, my, my university life was also a, a big transformational experience for me because that's the first time I experienced real, uh, let me call it a setback in terms of challenging my 
you know, my capacity. I joined, I was called to do a bachelor's of uh, soil, water, and environmental engineering at Jomo Kenyatta University of Agriculture and Technology. I joined there in 2002. So after two years of studies, I could not manage the course. I was to be the first engineer in the family, so everybody was excited about it. Uh, it was a very hard conversation between me and my parents, my father, because uh, at that point, uh, you know, uh, everyone was excited that now we have the first engineer. I was the, first, the second born uh, in my father's house, uh, the first born to my mother. I have a stepbrother. I was looked upon by my, my younger siblings. So uh, I remember writing a letter to the Dean of Studies, Jake telling them that I want to, to, to stop my studies. So I wrote a letter to discontinue myself from engineering uh, before, I did, before I even talked to my father. <laughs> you know, it, it was really difficult. Uh, so when I met the Dean, uh, the, the registrar academic, he actually told me, you know, uh, Kevin, you don't have to do this. I've seen very many students who do this and they regret in life. And he actually told me that, Kevin, uh, you might be afraid of getting a pass, but you know a pass in Jomo Kenyatta University is better than a first class in any other university. Then Jomo Kenyatta was the University of Agriculture Technology, you know. But in my heart, I knew that if I continue with this, I'm not aligning myself to what I'm passionate about. I'm not able to do this, and I don't want to waste my father's resources. So I wrote that letter. I told him, I'm sure about this. I want to discontinue myself because that's the only way I can apply for another course you know, uh, of what I am passionate about. So after tendering my, uh, my first <laughs> resignation in life, <laughs> I went back to talk to my father, I told my father I've stopped studies in J-Court. My father was, uh, he really loved, he, he still loves me, still alive, I thank God for him. He didn't know what to tell me, just told me, if that's what you decided, I'm okay with it. That, that statement transformed me. I, I again felt like what I felt when Mrs. Meshi told me, told my mother that you don't know who Kevin is. That was an affirmation, you know, a statement. And he told me, well, whatever you are planning to do, once it succeeds, you let me know, I will support you. So I wrote a letter to KU and I wanted to do environmental studies and community development, believe it or not. That same year when uh, I successfully got my transfer was the year that uh, then we were calling it, today is, is called uh, Kenya, something of uh, higher education, but then it was called Joint Admission Board. So the Joint Admission Board, that year they canceled inter-university transfer. So I was amongst the last people whose letter was approved to transfer from one university to another. And I remember when I joined KU, it was, uh, the last, it was the last three weeks of the semester. So the registrar there also refused to register me. You know, and, I had to, and they told me I have to wait for the next registration. It was March. I had to wait until August. I said, I can't stay home until August. So the first day I went, he sent me home. I went the next day. He sent me home again. I went the third day and he said, you know, I'm going to give you a letter. But if you fail, I will discontinue you. <laughs> so I said, yes. Give me the letter. I studied for three weeks, did my exams, and that is the semester that is called almost all A's in my life. So that was, again, another confirmation that uh, when you pursue uh, what you're passionate about with integrity and truth and honesty, it's never a waste, you know. So that transformed me. And one of the things that that experience removed from my heart is fear. Because when you are in the university, and from my background, when you're in the university, that's a sense of hope. It's kind of like a hope vessel that you're given that you're now doing an engineering course, you are more 
successful than you know uh, your peers because you are in a place where you can get a career but this is me who now is not able to do engineering and I'm out of my course and I stayed out for six months those were the, my toughest six months in life and at that point I knew of course if I'm not called to KU then the Eastlands reality is hitting me hard <laughs> So I started, uh, I, I remember I looked for a job at industrial area uh, in a biscuit producing factory, House of Manji, and I worked as a packer, you know, uh, at, uh, doing night shift. So in the night I used to work, during the day follow up my studies, uh, you know, meeting, going to Kasnev, going to Kasnev to follow up, you know, issues around whether I can get uh, support, uh, still financed as a, as, a, as a job student and all those things. And the second objective of getting a job then was if KU does not call me and I'm not sponsored by government, then I want to save up money to sponsor my education because I cannot be unfair to my siblings and allow my father to pay for me parallel. And that was not even going to happen because he does not have the money. So that experience removed fear. I believe that if you really are focused and if you really are determined to make things happen, that faith in your heart is a tool that, you know, God uses and also the people that are around you use to, you know, uh, open doors and ways for you. So any challenge that comes my way, I, I, I approach it without fear because I was in a deep hole and God removed me from it, you know, and I never get anxious, you know, about, about anything. So that was, again, another transformational, you know, uh, time in my life that really humbled my heart and let me know that you can actually, as a human being, you can have a setback. So you need to look at people with eyes of grace. You know, you need to look at people with the eyes of everyone deserves a second chance, especially if they are pursuing their passion and if uh, their setback is not deliberate. You know, it's, it's, it's a result of circumstances that can give them yes. Wow, quite a story. And we've not even got into your career yet. We are still in oh. university. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. step out of the university uh, into your oh, yes. professional life. Wow, I started working. Uh, I remember, and it's all linked. There was one uh, great friend of mine and my teacher called Dr. Kamide is now uh, one of the leaders, is uh, one of the members of parliament. He was teaching as one unit. And that unit was a very early morning unit, the seven o'clock one, the unit that nobody wants to attend <laughs> in the university. You know, so I really was excited about that unit because it was uh, focused on agriculture and development. And that is something that I really am excited about. So we really built a very good relationship with, uh, let me not mention him, because I've not told him I'm going to mention him in this podcast, but with that gentleman. So uh, he made me his class representative to mobilize others, mobilize assignments. So at the end of the course, I approached him and I told him, you know, I'm really passionate about your course. Kindly tell me three organizations that do what you're teaching about so that I can apply for my internship. So the gentleman goes into his court, gives me a card and says, call this number. So I just put the card in my bag, went to my room. When I read the card, he's actually the CEO of an organization that you know, works with farmers and does community development for farmers. So I called that uh, farm. They called me for an interview. I passed as an intern, did my internship for three months. Uh, fortunately, I was told that I was the best intern during my internship. So they gave me an offer. They said, when you graduate, if you're happy to come back and work with us, you're welcome. So I actually got a job uh, before I even went to my fourth year. <laughs> 
So after fourth year, definitely uh, I, I knew I had that uh, open uh, sleeve to, to work at uh, that organization. So I joined uh, Kenfab. Day two, after university, I joined the, the organization. I started off as a PA to the CEO. He actually, because we worked well when I was a student, he made me his PA and said, I want you to work close with me. And uh, fortunately, he was really also passionate about mentoring me. And that, that's really important about career development. I would encourage anyone who's starting off their career to, to get a mentor who is also interested to mentor them. You know, because we all learn. And I say, the moment we stop learning, I mean, we stop leading because leaders have to learn every day. And you know, leadership is, you cannot keep stock and say that uh, I'm leading today for tomorrow. No, you have to lead every day. <laughs> you know, and, and you cannot project your leadership. You have to lead in the moment. You know, someone told me that, you know, you cannot project the glory of today into the future. Every day is a challenge that you have to rise to the occasion and do something, you know, uh, better go beyond your baseline, which was yesterday's victory. So he, he, he was passionate to mentor me, gave me assignments, went with me to his meetings. It got to a point he trusted me so much that he would send me now to his meetings, you know. I am actually out of the university my first year of work as, uh, you know, as a junior officer, but I'm now, I'm now being sent to very important meetings to, to, to represent the organization. Of course, I brought in some unique uh, skill set. During that time is when climate change conversations were really picking up, you know, and there was very little talked about the relationship of climate change and farmers, you know, how climate change is affecting farmers and what can we do about it. So I brought in that skill set as an environmentalist and community development uh, you know, uh, student at that particular point and building that expertise, I was made now to serve both as the PA and set up the climate change advocacy office in that organization. So that gave me a lot of opportunities. Towards the end of, uh, towards the beginning of 2011, uh, the, the SCSOs, the civil society organization groups in Kenya decided to form a network that we call the Kenya Climate Change Working Group. So the network was divided into nine thematic groups. One of the thematic groups was agriculture, livestock and fisheries. My organization was nominated to be the convener of that, of agriculture thematic working group. And guess who is given that opportunity? So the CEO says, because you are my peer and I know how you work, we work together. Well, I want you to be the convener. So you will be representing us in uh, KCCWG. So at that particular point, at 20, I was barely 25 years old, I was uh, in the National Steering Committee of Kenya Climate Change Working Group, of course, alongside great men and women, who I really respect, you know, professors, doctors, CEOs. And it was also a learning moment for me, learning to assert myself, learning to communicate. You know, so that my experience with my first job was a cycle of learning and mentorship. You know, and, and, and I think that is really, that was really important foundation for me, you know, and I encourage everyone before you jump into position and power, get to the school of leadership. You know, that's really, really important. It makes your leadership journey sustainable. You know, it minimizes mistakes. You know, it builds your leadership emotional intelligence. You learn how to manage anger, you know, how to control, you know, your mood. You know, uh, because leadership comes with a lot of, you know, uh, sometimes management of conflicts and, you know, high, you know, temperatures in, 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 in engagements. 
So I, I worked with that organization for two years, then I got an opportunity to work with an international organization. I, I got an opportunity to work with Oxford, here to Britain as the National Climate Advocacy Officer. So that was really a promotion. Uh, worked there for, I was managing grants now, and one of the organizations that was benefiting from our grants was my former organization. So I was now managing their climate change portfolio. After that, I grew into uh, another international organization, Hivos Foundation. I was taken up as the Regional uh, uh, Climate and Renewable Energy Advocacy Coordinator for East Africa. So I managed portfolios in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. That was really excited, exciting because I now got the regional experience, uh, you know, uh, mobilizing leaders across the region to discuss issues around energy access you know, and climate change adaptation to see how people can cope better with the changing climate. After two years of working as the regional coordinator, I felt like I needed to move from advocacy work to really go to the community because remember that is what I really wanted. Go to the community. So I ventured out uh, to try and build a startup. That was my startup journey. You know, uh, I was introduced to one a gentleman that I really also respect, uh, the CEO of an organization called Tech for Trade based in the UK. And they were setting up their regional office. You know, so I was uh, recruited as the first regional uh, director for East Africa for, for Tech for Trade. Uh, there were two things that were exciting about that position. Number one, I also learned, you know, how to, uh, you know, admit that uh, you can try something and it does not work. That's a big also lesson for leaders. I think many leaders get into a mode of denial. And sometimes, you know, when, you, when you're a leader, it does not mean that everything you do must work, but it must succeed. It, sometimes you have to go through that experience of something not working and manage that experience as a leader. And it becomes a lesson to you and others. So I, we started off Tech for Trade. I, I ran it for one year. Unfortunately, uh, the business model that we were promoting never took off. I was really heartbroken. The investors were really heartbroken, <laughs> you know. But I learned a lot. I learned that I'm passionate about uh, social entrepreneurship. And that is where my journey for social entrepreneurship began. Because after that, I got an opportunity back at Hivos Foundation. I was called back to lead uh, the biogas program in 2015. I led that program uh, for five years. Uh, and after five years, I transitioned that program into an institution, an organization. Uh, that we are now calling Africa Bioenergy Programs Limited, where I'm the CEO and the MD at the moment. So it has been seven years of successful intervention across the country. We made a case to the donors, we made a case to our supporters, we made a case to our partners that we deserve to continue what we're doing, not just as a program, but as a national organization. You know, and we got support from all our partners and the blessings to establish a Kenyan-run and led organization. So I'm happy that uh, we are now two years old in the country with a lot and a lot uh, you know, of, of successful stories. Currently, 23,000 farmers are being supported by us you know, to, 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 you know, uh, to have clean cooking solutions in their homes. We are supporting over 170 small entrepreneurs who are constructing and installing you know, biodigesters across the country. We have a team of uh, 20 uh, field officers across the country who are training farmers on a day-to-day -day basis on how to use uh, biodigesters for clean cooking, 
and uh, the digest that comes out of the technology is called BioSlurry's organic fertilizer, how to use it on their farms. So looking at real impact, real transformation in the lives of people, for me, that is the, that is, I think that is the meal of a leader. That is the great satisfaction of a leader when you see someone happy and transformed, you know, and, 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 and thanking God that, you know, you came their way. That's what we're doing currently as ABPL. Quite a journey. And it's amazing just to see that your, your leadership has been almost orchestrated step by step. You know, each place that you grow, you're growing. Each place, and you still move to the next one, you're growing. So that's quite fascinating. And I, I really appreciate that. And what that has made me know is I don't need to be overambitious. I just need to live in the moment and give my best, you know, where I am. I mean, looking at, you don't have to, you know, uh, leave a shaky ground, you know, where you are. You have to create a solid foundation as you move forward, you know, not setting traps for other people to fail when they come after you. <laughs> so I really focus on what I have at the moment do my best and keep my eye on the ball because for me, it's not about possessions, it's about people. Thankfully, I came from a background where we, I, I was used to managing very little, you know, do more with less. So my background also helps me in my leadership style and it helps me avoid very many things, you know, and, and, I, and I want to thank God that my experience, you know, in, in Islands and in poverty yielded positive fruit you know, that of, you know, uh, appreciating and being empathetic to others and focusing on helping others and building for the common good as opposed to amassing to myself. Sometimes when you have a bad experience, you want to really go to the extreme, you know, to the extent of hedging others. But those experiences can also be positive, a positive influence in the life of a leader, you know, uh, because you don't want to get into anger or into vengeance or into overindulgence just because you've got an opportunity to lead. So where I am, I'm really fulfilled and satisfied that more and more farmers, the next three years, we're talking about 20,000 more farmers, you know, cooking clean in this country. You know, women will no longer smoke in the kitchen. You know, talk about cigarette smoking, but our women are smoking from firewood every day. And that's what we want to transform. And we are going beyond just uh, giving a technology. We are also organizing these communities into CBOs. Currently, we've organized 55 CBOs. We are headed to 200 by the end of 2023 to ensure that there is a sustainable you know, platform for farmers and for rural households to thrive. You know, the real you know, experience of not giving fish, but giving you know, people the, you know, the, the nets and teaching them how to fish. Wow, I like that. Just empowering the CBOs, that's community-based organizations, right? Those are community-based organizations. They are led and, uh, uh, you know, run by farmers themselves. We offer them capacity development. We support, you know, through uh, revenues we get from, from the carbon market to help them organize, run their meetings. And over and beyond that, we're also looking at investing capital for them to go beyond just uh, uh, community development activities to entrepreneurship. And see, that's really, that, that has been my, my model. I mean, whenever I go, I just, I just don't look at filling up gaps, but also empowering the people that you're supporting 
to in the future fill the gaps by themselves? How do we get communities to take charge? You know, and we get off this theory that people say that you know nonprofit organizations exist uh, for as long as the needs of the communities exist. So that that is not really community needs are not our collateral. Community needs is our mission to solve them and help communities now get now on the driver's seat to help more people come out of poverty, you know, and struggle. Wow, well said. Well said. I like that. Part one of this episode ends here. Join us in our next episode for part two. Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We hope you're leaving with insights that will help you live and lead better. We appreciate our sponsors, BNG Consultants Limited and BNG Center for Leadership Coaching for keeping us on air. Bye for now. See you in our next episode.